Well, it's good to see everyone out again this evening. If you'll turn with me again to the book of Job. Can't quite tell if everyone who's here this evening was here this morning, so perhaps we'll just have a brief review of what we've seen so far. Job was a man who lived round about the time just before or near Abraham. And that's why we're studying his life here, because uh, we are going through a, currently a study of Genesis on our Sunday morning uh, uh, studies. Um, and this is the chronological place that the book of Job would fall. And it's an interesting book. But again, I would say that we need to be careful which verses we want to choose as our life verse from this book you know it's like ecclesiastes where some of the 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 things being expressed are from strictly human perspective and the bible is telling us the way some of these people think but you look at the end of the book of job and job and god comes to correct these friends of job and says what they have to say about god was not correct and so it's helpful for us to be able to enter into why did they think that why did they say that and what did god have to say about it in response and so that's kind of a little bit of what we want to look at this evening as we continue to look at the life of job we see at the beginning here that he was a man who it says was the greatest of all the people of the east god had prospered the work of his hands and he had great possessions. But the thing that is most striking about him is the four things said about his character. He was blameless, upright. He feared God and was turning away from evil. And I just can't go through even my review without just prompting us with the question again. Can that be said about you and me? If someone was to look at our life from the outside, is that we, we live a life of blamelessness where we deal with the problems and issues and sins that come up in our lives so that our conscience is no longer haunting us so that there's not this ongoing division between us and others blameless and upright and one who gives god the true first place of reverence and fear in our lives not because we're afraid he's going to crush us if we don't but because we realize who he is and he has that first place God says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. And the world around us is searching for so many things, but God says, put me first. And then he's turning away from evil. This is a constant struggle for us, isn't it? We're confronted with evil so directly and indirectly. Um, even if you uh, say like Job did, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully upon a woman... You know, you can't hardly walk down the street without seeing billboards and you can throw away your TV and stuff is still coming at you, isn't it? And uh, uh, I remember, I mean, we get it right here while we're preaching the word of God, people coming by blasting music that's absolutely profane and we can't even get away from it in here. And uh, But when we have the choice, this is what impresses me with Job. In the presence of evil and temptation, he would turn away from evil. And uh, may God help us to follow his example. Of course, none of us probably want to follow his example in falling into tribulation and trials, right? 
But uh, <clears throat> as we look at his life, the thing that we learn this morning is that through no fault of his own, he fell into terrible suffering. You know, it, the, the question is often asked, um, what is then the purpose of suffering? Why is it even a part of our lives? And um, I forget how much I might have even said about that this morning. It was on my notes, but I don't remember saying much. First thing we have to recognize is Genesis chapter 3, right? Sin entered into the world. It was not a part of God's original design, but when man chose to disobey God, to give in to the temptations of the serpent, Satan himself, who's the one behind the suffering in Job's life, uh, the suffering came as a direct result of their choice, didn't it? When they stood before God in, in Genesis chapter 3, and, 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 and God said, because you have done this, here are the consequences. He had told him in advance, in the day that you eat from that fruit, you will surely die. The wages of sin is death. And Jesus told his disciples, in this world you will have tribulation. That's the first reason we have suffering in this world is because, you know what, we live in a broken, fallen world. I guess that's no surprise to any of us, right? We're facing it all the time. But, you know, if we forget that the reason we suffer is because of sin, we can easily lose our focus. We can easily become like Job's friends and, and make judgments about other people that may not be true. Each and every one around us are victims of being born into this world with a sin nature with the freedom of choice that enables one to choose to do incredible evil. But praise God, it's the same thing because we're made in the image of God that gives us the privilege of choosing, like Job, to turn away from evil once the Holy Spirit's alive in our lives. And so um, that's one reason. And praise God, I think we referred to this not long ago with the question about um, the curse Romans chapter 8 tells us it's temporary, isn't it? Romans 8.18 says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation itself eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself will also be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the sons of God. All that to say this then, it's temporary. Praise God, when the story is all done, sin will be done away with. Death and even hell will be cast into the lake of fire and uh, will be no more. Praise the Lord. But there's another purpose for suffering. Before we get back into the the story of Job himself. If you'll keep your finger there. If you'll turn with me just to the book of Acts. This is such a profound passage that Paul goes into as he's preaching to the people in Athens in Acts 17. And they, this is, if you recall, where, where he saw they, they were such a religious people. They, they, were, they, they were confused about what was true when it came to religious things. And, and they had all these gods that they tried to set up, and then they had this one altar to the unknown God. And, and, and Paul used that as a stepping stone to tell him, well, I want to tell you about this unknown God because he's revealed himself. And he goes in to preach the word of God to them. But notice then, when it comes to speaking of 
the Lord and his relationship to man. He says in verse 25 that God is not worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything since he gives life to he gives to all life, breath and all things. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings so that they should seek the Lord in hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. So, you know, not only is sin a part of our lives, or suffering a part of our lives because of sin in general, and it's something that we just have to realize it's going to keep coming. But this verse tells us that God has a purpose behind what he allows to happen in our lives. Even as far as the reachings of nations on the earth, it says that he pre-appoints the times and boundaries. He places limits on how far nations and kings and those who seem to have influence and power are able to go, even as he was limiting Satan in Job's life, as we looked at this morning. But there are times where God will allow that limit to go farther or shrink it in. But why? Notice God's purpose. And this is where we see the mercy of God. It says he does it, verse 27, so that they should seek the Lord. How many times we've been praying for someone that we know or love to come to know the Lord as their Savior? And what happens? Their life turns upside down. Because finally, they start looking up. And they're looking to hopefully find God, who they didn't want anything to do with just days or weeks before. And suddenly, they're, they're searching for Him. Sadly, though, this, the effect can be temporary, right? We saw a great change in attitude after 9-11 in our country. But what happened to it? Why is it when we go knock on the doors, people aren't as open to talking anymore? But God has placed us in this world to be at certain places at certain times to be able to help like Paul there to point them to him because he wants for us to find him. And so let's not give up praying for those we know. Let's not be surprised when the trials come and life turns upside down because God is wanting them to turn to him. But you know, the same is true for us as believers, isn't it? The Galatians 6 says we will reap what we sow. And even as believers, if we have wandered away from the Lord, he will allow those trials to come to turn us back. But it's important that we don't just assume that if trouble's coming, it's because we've done something wrong. That's what we learn from Job. Right? He's not the only example. You think of Joseph. The Bible doesn't say he was treating his brothers wrong. But they were envious of him and they sold him into slavery. And for many years, he was separated from his family and was cast into prison wrongly. Everything kept going wrong for him. But God was working in his life and bringing about a great purpose that he had no understanding of how it was ever going to come about. But he learned to trust in God. And by God's grace, if we would look at the examples before us in men like Joseph and men like Job, we also will join them in the ranks of the Hall of Faith to be an encouragement to others as they seek to wrestle with the struggles and trials and suffering in their lives. Okay. Well, let me come back to the book of Job.
This morning we we got a chance to pull back the curtain. As it says, Satan appeared before the Lord and this challenge was given. If you touch this man's life, he will curse you to your face. Well, God let him touch his possessions and it says that he did not he did not sin or charge God with any wrong. And then in chapter 2, again, Satan says, no, 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 look. Yeah, but he's still got his health. You touch his health, and then he'll certainly turn on you. But again, what a testimony. Chapter 2, verse 10. And all this, Job did not sin with his lips. You know, his wife came along in verse 10, 9 and 10, and said, why don't you just curse God and die? Job saw through that. He said, listen, that's what the foolish women say. But before I get back further into the the counsel of Job's friends, let me just say, people who care about us can give us bad counsel, can't they? It's not that their love is false, but it may not be from the Lord. And... um, how difficult it is when those who we know want to help us are not helping us because their counsel is not from the Lord. That's what we're going to find from Job's friends as we get into this. Can we just pray again before we, uh, we carry on? Father, I thank you again for this book. How many times we want, like Job, to ask why? Why did you allow this to happen? Why didn't things go differently for me? Yet, Lord, you don't always give us the answer we're looking for. But you have given us hope. And, Lord, again, I just ask that tonight as we look again at this book that you've given to us, that you would give us the chance to increase our faith to run the race that you've given us to run, that we might be found faithful even as Job was, that when we have been tried, we shall come forth as gold. We commit this time to you once again. We thank you for what you're doing in our lives. We want to just pray again for Tim and Yoli as they prepare to go overseas, that you would just open the doors before them, that you would provide for their needs. We think of the many possessions that they need to get rid of, that they may struggle to let go of, but that you would just help them through this step by step and lead and guide them and use them mightily for your service. We we ask these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. So Job began after a week of his friends coming, and we haven't really talked much exactly about his friends up till now. But for seven days they said nothing. And I remember reading something in, in my passing about this book, and it said, you know, what can we learn about how to be comforters as we look at this book? And, you know, sometimes I find that I'm too easy to speak when I should really just be quiet. And I look at these men who came and sat with Job for seven days, understanding that his grief was great. And they wanted to comfort him. They wanted to help him. They wanted to mourn with him. And they did. They took the sackcloth and ashes and they they poured it on their heads and, and, and they lifted up their voice. They wept with him. And somehow for that week, their, uh, their presence was some sort of comfort to him. 
But finally, Job begins to say something himself. And as he begins to curse the day of his birth and he begins to ask why, they begin to speak. And unfortunately, they turn on him. They make judgments about his life that, that were wrong. And they end up doing more harm than good. What are some of the things that they had to say? Well, chapter 5, verse 6, tells us something that Eliphaz said. He begins to speak of, verse 2 says, the foolish man. Envy slays a simple one. And he talks about how the foolish man who goes along and doesn't regard God. And um, it says, verse 6, For affliction does not come from the dust, nor does trouble spring from the ground, yet man is born to trouble as the sparks fly upward. So there is a reason for these things. We get our focus in the wrong direction. We do wrong things. And hey, trouble comes just like the f sparks fly upward. You know, you strike the match, you got the fire, you, you throw something in there and the sparks go up. Well, that's just the way it is in life. So as for me, he says, listen, I would seek God. And he insinuates that Job was not seeking God and therefore this trouble has come upon him. You reap what you sow. He sets on high, verse 11, those who are lowly, those who mourn, he lifts up to safety. But if you lift up yourself against the Lord, it says he's going he's to put you back in your place. And so you obviously must have done something to provoke God. Now, sometimes that's true, as we've already said. You, reap what, you do reap what you sow. But does that mean that Job had done that? No. And so as we said this morning, Job had accepted. Yes, chapter 6, verse 4, the arrows of the Almighty are within me. My spirit drinks in their poison. The terrors of God are arrayed against me. But verse 24, teach me and I will hold my tongue. Help me to understand where I've erred, but I don't see it. <clears throat> he makes mention in chapter 8 of some things that Bildad the Shuhite said. He said, you, you, your sons have died. Well, verse 4, if your sons have sinned against him, He's cast them away for their, for their transgression. Basically, listen, they obviously must have sinned. And so now the Lord has cast them away. They got what they deserved. But if you would earnestly seek God and make your supplication to the Almighty, if you were pure and upright, surely now He would awake for you and prosper your rightful dwelling place. And though your beginning was small, yet your latter end would increase abundantly. This is some poison that's being spread in our day, isn't it? I was reading it again in a later chapter. And I see it here in chapter 20. Two. This is now Eliphaz speaking, one of the other friends. <clears throat> Look at what he says here in verse 21. Now acquaint yourself with him that is the Lord and be at peace and thereby good will come to you. Verse 23, if you will return to the Almighty, you will be built up and you will remove iniquity far from your tents. So he says, if you just come back to the Lord, it'll go well with you. 
And that's the prosperity doctrine we hear preached from the TV channels many times. If you'll just send in your gift, if you'll do this, if you'll do that, God will prosper you. And you know, that sounds nice when you see them all wearing their gold watches and fancy clothes and the big cameras and all this stuff. But, but how many genuine believers around the world are suffering in poverty? It's not because they've turned away from the Lord. It's because... I guess I don't really have an answer to tell you. It's too generic of a, of a situation to try to address, isn't it? It's not true just because we are right with God that it will go well with us. Here's another one I heard some guys in Bible school saying one time, verse 28 of the same chapter. You will also declare a thing and it will be established for you. This is the name it and claim it. If you had enough faith, if you just believed that God would do it for you, it would happen. And I had someone tell me this after I busted up my knee. And my ligaments were torn. And they said, if you just had enough faith, God would heal it. Well, I, I said, listen, I can't tell God what to do. He's not a genie in a, a lamp, and I just rub it, and he fixes what's my problem. But after a while in talking with them, I said, well, maybe I'm being the foolish one here, and I'm, I'm just not. I, maybe I don't have enough faith. So I took off my knee brace and went to go play basketball. What a fool. <laughs> Because I can't just tell God what to do. I can't just say, declare it, and it'll be established for me. I'm not God, and I can't tell him what to do. Isn't that what the Bible says in Romans chapter 9? God is the potter. I am the clay. And can the clay turn around and tell the potter what to do with him and how, what to make out of him? No, he's the potter. He's the one with the plan. He's the master craftsman, and I am his workmanship. Ephesians 2.10 tells us, you are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus under good works that he has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. He's got a plan, and he's going to unfold it before us, and we may not know what it is until it unfolds, but we can't just decide what it's going to be and expect that it's going to be that way. Otherwise, we're going to be very frustrated people. And I was very frustrated as I rolled around with my hands on my knee. But that's what they, they were telling Job to do. Just come back to God and it'll go well with you. Declare what it's going to be. Speak it into existence. Claim it for yourself. But Job could see through that. And so he, he said, um, <clears throat> chapter 23, verse 5, I just want to know that which he would answer me and understand what he would say to me. He says, listen, I just want God to reveal himself. Whatever it's going to be, just let him tell me. But he had trouble seeing God. As we've already mentioned, he repeats himself in this quite a bit. Um, but I, if I can just, while we're in chapter 23, come to this verse. Because I think this is going to be key. Notice verse 10. But he knows the way that I take. And when he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. He said in verse 12, I've treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. But he is unique, and who can make him change? And whatever his soul desires, that he does. For he performs what is appointed for me, and many such things are with him. God's going to do what it is that he's going to do. And we can't fully understand those things all the time. I'm looking for the end of the book now. What actually helped Job? 
He had all these questions. He knew that God was greater than himself, but he did not understand. Yes, he believed the principles that were presented to him. There is a reward in following God. There is a consequence for disobeying him, but he couldn't find the wrong in himself. And so the challenge from his friend, Elihu, that started in uh, chapter, oh wow, back in chapter 30, was it 2? Sorry, yes, continues for many chapters. But one of the things that I appreciate that he says in rebuking Job for thinking, how can you be more righteous than God? You want to hold God in contempt for doing something wrong to you because you don't feel like you've done anything wrong. But he says, listen, this is chapter 36, verse 21. Take heed and do not turn to iniquity, for you have chosen this rather than affliction. He says, you know, you want to justify yourself before God and say, this is not fair. It shouldn't be happening to me. And because he's not answering, now you want to turn aside into iniquity. Up until now, what did it say? In all this, Job did not charge God with sin. But now, as he's wrestling with these concepts, and you know, this is the danger with arguing with people. You know, college students, they, they're in classes with, with teachers that are telling them all about evolution and, and all these theories of theirs that are, that, are, that are trying to debunk their faith in the Lord and in what the scriptures have to say. And, and I've been in these arguments myself where I've, I've given them what I understand of God's word, and yet they've got more and more arguments to return with. And suddenly I have no more response for their argument. And what's the very next thing that enters my mind? Well, maybe they've got something there. Why can't I defend it any further? Why can't I I end their questions? Why can't I put it to rest? And so we, many young people then turn away from the Lord. They turn away from their confidence in the Scriptures and they'll just buy into the arguments. And see, Job was beginning to, to be sucked in by his friends at, at, at saying, well, there must be a reason... And so you're wrong. Well, well, if he couldn't find anything, well then, well maybe God must just be dealing with me the wrong way. And he was being tempted into the wrong path rather than suffering the affliction. You notice that? You have chosen this rather than affliction. There is a very famous book that came out when I was in college called The Road Less Traveled. And this man ultimately became a Christian in his pursuit of trying to understand suffering. And what he said is most people's suffering is a result of their trying to get away from pain. In trying to avoid pain, they make life choices that end up hurting them worse in the long run. Better that we just accept the difficulties that face us in our life and cling to the Lord to help us through them. Isn't that what the the, the great psalmist says in Psalm 23? Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. He wants to lead us through them rather than help us just to escape them. And in order to do that, at times we have to accept the affliction. And I don't like that. But isn't that the process the Lord calls us to? Think about now. He says, those, John 15, abide in me and you will bear much fruit. The imagery of the vine. I am the vine and you are the branches, Jesus said. But those who bear fruit, 
He prunes the branches. He's going to do some cutting away. But we want to avoid the cutting away. So what do we do? We compromise and allow ourselves to go through a life of not bearing much fruit. Does that make sense? We avoid some pain, but we compromise. And, and this is where Job was beginning to come to. And Elihu begins to challenge him not to turn to iniquity. And with that, the Lord steps in the scene. Praise God, he shows up and begins to speak. Well, I shouldn't say shows up. He was there all along. But he would begin to speak. The Lord answered Job, chapter 38, verse 1, and he begins to say, Who is this who darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Now prepare yourself like a man, and I will question you, and you shall answer me. And suddenly he begins to reform Job's perspective on the Lord himself. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Where were you when I inscribed the circle of the earth? Where were you? I'm not going to read them all. He goes through two chapters of questioning. Can you actually number the clouds by wisdom? Have you walked into the treasury of the snow and the hail, which I've reserved for the time of trouble? Uh, over and over again, he just begins to reveal. These are the things that God has taken into calculations when he designed the earth and when he's watching over our lives moment by moment. And he is the one who has the wisdom that we cannot even begin to imagine the circumstances and yet he has not only weighed them but is controlling them and so when he begins to just rattle off these challenging questions to job chapter 40 job finally begins to respond and he says behold i am vile what shall i answer you i lay my hand over my mouth once i have spoken but i will not answer yes twice i spoke right but but i will not proceed any farther he says you know what i i did speak out a line his perspective of the lord had gotten lost and the lord answers him again and he begins to to challenge him on his on his on on again on his ability to understand life and consider the magnitude of the work of god and where does he end up chapter 42 Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do everything and that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. You're the one who asked, who is this who hides counsel without knowledge? And therefore I've uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me which I did not know. Listen, please, and let me speak. You said I will question you and you shall answer me. Well, I've heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes sees you, and therefore I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes here's a man who's finally broken and said lord not my will but yours be done what a beautiful example of aloneness that we read in matthew earlier this evening where the lord was struggling in the garden emotionally distraught over what he knew was coming to the point where it says he sweat like great drops of blood but oh, through the time of prayer and pouring out himself to the Father saying, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. I'm just so amazed at how he stands up a mere hour later 
saying, Arise, let us be going, my betrayer is at hand. Excuse me? I'd be more distressed than before, knowing he's at hand, and here he comes. But he arises in peace as the very thing that he feared came to pass. To use the words of Job, the cross, not just the suffering at the hands of man, but the judgment from Almighty God, his Father, for your sin and for mine being poured out on him. And he arises in peace because he's in harmony with the Father. Not my will, but yours be done. And Job learns this at the end of the book. And God wants us to learn this. You know, I was joking. <laughs> uh, it, was, it was a hilarious kind of introduction to my message last week in, in Waterbury from Hebrews 11. Considering the plight of the Hebrews who were going through great persecution because of their faith in Christ. And they were on the verge of turning back. You know, we asked ourselves, <laughs> partway there on day three of having our little children, poor things, strapped in their car seats for eight hours a day in their van, you know. And, and, and of course, you, they get restless and they get cranky. And, you know, and all of a sudden we turn to each other and say, why are we doing this? Like, what were we thinking? But it was kind of a humorous thing. But how much in life do we start to ask ourselves, like, why am I doing this? Why don't we just give up? Why don't we turn away and avoid the affliction and go into the world and, and, and turn away from the Lord? Why? Because there are examples like Job to show us that there is a reason. Hebrews chapter 11 is full of those who went through suffering. Abraham wandered, living his life in tents, waiting to receive a, the inheritance which he never received in this life, but is still waiting for him. But he hung on by faith in what he knew to be true of God. And Moses, in the splendor of the, 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 the palace of Egypt, turned away from it to associate himself with the reproaches of Christ, with the Lord's people. And you know, some of them, the first half of the chapter is such an exciting group of things to see, where they were delivered, where they received blessings. It says that women received their loved ones back from the dead. But then it goes on to say some were sawn in two, some were burned, some were killed and stoned. Why? We could ask with Job, why? Why is it some of us who are diagnosed with, with cancers are, 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 are healed and others are not? Why? We don't know. But we know the goodness of the Lord. And it says, being surrounded by these great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside the things that so easily ensnare us and the sin that entangles us and run with endurance the race that is set before us. What do we need? Endurance. Where do we get it? From the Lord. He says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. He has gone through great suffering and he knows how to comfort us. He knows how to hold our hands to take us through it. He may not tell us why the individual circumstances we're suffering. We have to go through them. Could it be that it's going to be a testimony to our unsaved family and friends to pull them to Christ? Could it be that it's the angelic realm watching on? We know that that's true. 
not only because of what we see in Job chapters 1 and 2, but what do we read in 1 Corinthians 11? The very reason that we have coverings here in the church is because of the angels. So they can behold a people who, yes, go through suffering, go through things that they don't want to go through, but they come together to show forth, I'm willing to take the place God has for me. And as men, we uncover our heads to show forth the the position of God as head of His church. And the women cover their heads to show that they're willing to take the place of submission to the head because of the angels. This very salvation, First Peter tells us, that we're a part of is, is something that the prophets longed to try to figure out how God was going to bring it to pass. And it was this marvelous thing, but they never got to see it for themselves. And it says in regards to that, things into which angels desire to look into. They're watching on. Ephesians tells us that the blessings that He's poured upon us as the church of God. He's raised us up together and seated us together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the ages to come He might show the exceeding riches of His grace in His kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. He wants to use us as a showcase for His glory. We may not understand what that plan is and how your suffering and your suffering and my suffering enters into that grand picture. But it is. But it requires our faith to hang on to that. And that's what Peter says God is interested in. He says, if it need be, well, I'm getting ahead of myself. I see that my time is gone. I want to to reach the climax of this whole message. He says, In this, that is your salvation, we greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while, if need be, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found in the praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, you love. And though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory and receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. He says our faith is more precious than gold. People kill each other over gold in this world. But God says more precious than gold is our faith and he's purifying it. And this tribulation purifies it. And so how is it that we can say, consider it all joy when you encounter various trials. It's working patience. It's purifying our faith. So we can say with Job, when I've been tried, I will come forth as gold. The thing I don't like about this is, you know, sometimes uh, I feel like I've reached new plateaus and, and greater faith and greater trust in the Lord because of the things I've seen him do in my life in the past. And yet more trials come. The testing of our faith, you know, just like gold. The melting point for gold is the same every time you smelt it. There's more impurities, so we've got to heat it up again. And the melting point is the same. It gets just as hot. And you know, my testing and your testing, whatever point you are in your walk with the Lord, we can look at one another and think, well, that's not such a big trial. But you know what? To them it is. The melting point for each of us is just as hot. But He's leading us along. Let us encourage one another. As Brother Malcolm said earlier, to... to to provoke one another to love and good deeds, to encourage each other, comfort each other with these things that we don't say, what am I doing this for? Let's do it for the Lord. He gave his life for us and he's leading us. He's going to run the race with us. And uh, 
I love the line, I think I quoted it this morning, therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God. He wasn't ashamed of Job. Let us go on so that the Lord does not have shame associated with us being His and run the race with endurance. Lord, I know that there's so much more to this book that we've never even gotten to. But Lord, I know I have need of endurance. My faith is tested over and over again and and sometimes I get discouraged feeling like I fail more than I succeed in different areas of my life. But you said it's more precious than gold and so you're going to keep refining. You want to conform us to the image of Christ and you've given us all that we need to continue to press on. Let us like, like Paul say forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the the prize for the upward call of God in Christ Jesus, that we may know you and the fellowship of your sufferings and that we might attain to the resurrection from the dead, that we might lay hold of that for which you've laid hold of us. And so, Lord, help us not to give up. There are some here who are suffering more than any of us would ever imagine. And they feel that they're about to break under the weight. Lord, encourage them. Help them not to turn away from you, but to get a greater glimpse of you that they might uh, find the grace to go forward. Father, we just commit ourselves again into your care. In Jesus' name, amen.